Hi, Smart Community friends. I'm back with another bonus episode of the Smart Community Podcast, sharing various guests' answers to the question, where to next for smart cities and communities? And this time, I'm sharing with you the answers from these guests. Niels Walters from episode 249, Jonathan Reichenthal and Brett Hofstadt from episode 251, Jack Barton from episode 252, and finally, Kylie Legg from episode 253. Some themes that come through in the guest answers are around the self-governance of data, building more resilient and flexible communities, and systems thinking to solve problems. It is more important than ever for communities to be more resilient and have the ability to identify potential risks in society in order to build these resilient communities. Smart communities is all about making people's lives better, and it's important to have a holistic approach to connecting communities and systems thinking to solve problems, aiming for the common good of society. As Jonathan Reichenthal says, I think we've got to the position now where we can actually identify the potential risks in our society and we can make plans and we can test those plans. As always, we hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it. Welcome to the smart community, smart regions, smart towns, and smart cities. It's where we live, work, and play with smart communities. The future starts today. Big data, smart mobility, emerging trends galore. The Smart Community Podcast is what you're looking for. Where to next for smart communities? Ooh, I think for smart communities, we, we should really start to have a discussion around the sort of self-governance of data in its broadest sort of perspective. Like what could it mean for a smart community if they are fully and autonomously in control of who, where, and what they give their own personal data to. I know that's, that's is a very long sentence and a bit of a messy sentence, but I think that is really where we can start to have discussions uh, about with communities and with smart communities. What could that mean and what could that look like in the future? What would that mean if collectively as a community, we say no, for instance, to surveillance in our street? Of course, that would mean a conversation with the council to not have CCTV systems in place. But it might also mean that you have to have a chat with your neighbor and ask like, hey, what's, why is there a camera at your house? Or hey, why did you purchase a ring doorbell? How is that going to affect me? And I say no to that, for instance, what are the sort of measures you'll put in place? And I think that'll be a really interesting conversation. So yeah, that sort of self-governance model of data is a really interesting one to have. Yeah, I agree. And I think there'll be this you know, toing and froing. And for me, it's the biggest, uh, the biggest thing is being informed about like you and I can have exactly the same information, but we'll make different decisions about the level of surveillance, for example, because of, you know, our experiences, our backgrounds, et cetera, et cetera. And so then it'll be a conversation of, yeah, well, what's, you know, that minimum acceptance level or uh, what things are in place to protect uh, somebody who, doesn't want that system in their backyard or whatever the case may be, whereas the next door neighbour might want it because they don't feel safe or whatever it is. So, yeah, I agree. It'll be complex. It'll be interesting. It will be. And I think, yeah, we are so used to consenting 
on the web, even though in many instances, I don't think it's it's an argument I always bring up. I think we live in a society where we deconsent rather than consent these days, because very often a system signs you up for something, you get an email or whatever, and you have to click unsubscribe actively. But in public space, that's that's much more difficult. Like I can't imagine a future where every single house has a consent form. And before you walk past the house or the building, you read what data is captured about you. Obviously, that's not, well, that's far from ideal, but it's, I hope, not realistic. But it is probably something we need to, yeah, have a conversation about. Um, yeah. Where to next for smart communities? Who would like to go first? I'm happy to. Well, we have to talk about the 800-pound gorilla in the room, the COVID, right? The pandemic, the global pandemic. Surprise, surprise, we had a pandemic, right? And, you know, we planned for things. I don't think we did a good job of thinking about that. Uh, but it's here. And uh, it's sort of it has been a game changer and, and will be a game changer more than we even know in the years ahead. And, and so there's questions about, you know, I guess there's a question about what, how do we prepare for the next one? Or maybe the broader question that I'm asking and helping a lot of communities with right now is, what are the resilience plans overall? How are you thinking about resilience? We have this terrible habit of, you know, when something major happens, it's a surprise. But when you kind of look back, somebody mentioned it or we thought about it, but did nothing about it, right? I think we've got to be in a position now where we actually identify the potential risks in our society and we make plans and we test those plans, right? So to me, resilience has taken on new meaning. And, and this applies to communities that are uh, really suffering in terms of drought. And, and you know all about that in Australia and fires, of course. Uh, we know that a lot uh, about earthquakes and fires in California. We, we, we're having both right now. And uh, by the way, I was on, a, I was on another podcast a, f- uh, a few weeks ago. And uh, in fact, I was on a call with uh, Brett, as it happens, and, and my apartment here started to wobble. We, we had a real time, you know, on video, on Zoom, we had an earthquake. So I, I, see, I think what's next for smart communities is a super attention to resilience plans in the broader sense. And I'll throw into the mix, by the way, cybersecurity is in there too, right? Here in the US, we've had uh, some shocking... Uh, ransomware attacks on major cities, Atlanta, Georgia, you know, these are big American cities, Baltimore. And, you know, what's happening is it's not just, you know, a, a sort of a pain, sort of a little pain on the side. This is taking major systems offline for weeks. And, and so we can no longer not make this a priority. So to me, smart communities have to be resilient communities. That would be probably the best uh, answer I would give, just if I had to choose one. We could speak for three hours and I'll give you more, but that's the one I'm going in with uh, today. Yep, I like it. Brett, how about you? Where to next for smart communities? Well, I like Jonathan's answer again very much. Uh, Part of my background actually is working for the Office of Emergency Services with the state of California. So as a project manager and risk manager, I love that. And I, but I was also overwhelmed with all the risks that are out there for cities and communities like cyber attacks, of course, and natural disasters and man-made disasters. We really, so I, I think what would be great for smart communities is to have a, a holistic approach, really, which is not easy. It takes somebody who can look at the big picture and come in with experience and say, here's opportunities that we have, which we need to pursue. 
diligently and methodically. And of course, there's limited resources for that, so you have to prioritize them. But then there's also risks and issues we need to manage and address. And there's, of course, limited funding and resources and people for that too. But you really you need to take care of both. And so that's the challenge, but that's really that's what it will take for everyone. Mm, yeah, I agree. I think the holistic approach, which you know is easy, easy to say, more difficult to do, but even just working towards it, is, it has to be the way for smart communities. And I even see it within local governments, for example, just um, mapping out the inter, you know, connectedness of all the systems and the activities and all those type of things from a, you know, I'm thinking like even just, you know, the data flows and that type of thing being more holistic in that way, but then reaching out into the community and realizing that it's not, you know, not a linear thing. It's how they all connect together and this will affect that. And we won't even realize that until we've done something. So it's, I think that holistic approach is so key. And I think we'll see more and more of it as we move forward because we'll have to, because otherwise we won't be able to kind of shift the way we want to shift. Well, let me, let me, that's a very good point that you're both making. I want, I, I, let me just add to it, which is, I mean, this is where technology is great. <laughs> is that it's not just about automating or reinventing stuff. It's how you change the game. That's what digital transformation is about. It's reinventing and innovating completely new ways of delivering things and solving problems, completely new ways. And one of the things that tech does, it helps us to scale where we can't scale. And what occurred to me as I was listening to both of you as an example was, you know, there's this notion of healthy cities, which, you know, is another subset of uh, smart communities. And, you know, we're, we're, I'm, I'm lucky, Brett's lucky enough to live, we live in uh, wealthy, uh, developed communities, but that's not the case around the world, right? We know that for a fact. And, and so you think about how, how do we get, uh, or how do we democratize healthcare? And well, you might say, well, we need more doctors and we need, we need more nurses. And well, let me just be really frank about this. If we churned out a hundred times more doctors and nurses every month than we do today, we're not even going to make a blip. There, there's no way to scale doctors and nurses in the world today to actually provide healthcare to everybody. This is just, this is a fact, but technology can help us. It can help us in, for example, in India, where there are rural communities who don't have doctors or nurses or even a hospital, they, uh, the major hospital networks give uh, local people uh, smartphones with specific apps that allow them to apply some first aid activities and even provide some distance healthcare. And then if the situation really gets to a point where the person has to be moved to another town or to a hospital, they will do it. But what technology is doing here, which I, which I think is really the promise of it, it lets us solve this really intractable issue about democratizing healthcare as just one of the examples of how we're going to solve these future problems. If we're ever going to have a chance to have more and more people have a better quality of life all around the world. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, similarly in even um, remote Australia, there's, you know, this access to services is something that technology can help us with or is helping us with. But again, like you both have said, it's like the application, the best application of that to serve the people and making sure that we are thinking about how the digital literacies to make sure people understand how to use it and all those type of things. And I think health is also the more and more now that we're talking about is mental health as well, how we can ensure that people have that 
initial contact or that, you know, they know that they can reach out and they can use technology to do so. And I think that's really key and a real game changer, hopefully, um, as we move through and out of this pandemic that we have. And Brett, you were talking about earlier, having those conversations is really important because I think in the past we may not even, we weren't allowed in inverted commas to have conversations about mental health. And I think smart communities and technology are helping us to do that. And particularly with younger people having those conversations earlier. But yeah, I, I think it's so key. And that's to have healthier communities has to be part of smart communities. Because if it's not, if we're just sicker and, you know, unhappy and just working heaps and, you know, we're so productive, we've got all this money with throwing this around, but if we're not happy, we're not healthy, then what's the point? You know, I, I wanted to share something with you. I was thinking to myself whether I should do this or not, but you know, you only live once, so let me just go ahead and do this. When I was growing up as a kid, maybe Brett can this he'll know, know what I'm talking about. You'll know why I'm reluctant to say, it, but I'll say it anyway. We would watch shows about Australia, and two things really I remember, and I'm talking about shows from when I was three or four years old. So it's a few decades <laughs> or five years old. The doctors, we were, they was flying doctors. So there was these TV, TV shows about, maybe it still exists, but they would get in these little planes and fly out to these communities. I remember this being really, like being amazed by this because I never understood the distances and the size and the problems. But it was just like, the doctors are in planes. This is cool. And they would fly the planes themselves. And then the other thing I remember is a lot of these kids who lived in these very remote areas would get their schooling from tuning into television at a certain time during the day. <laughs> so I did want to, hey, look, there's a dog in my neighborhood. But I I never got a chance really to talk to an Australian with an Australian audience and, and sort of share this experience I had growing up of my impressions of Australia. Well, yes, they are both real things. Distance over the air or over the air. Yeah, my sister studied uh, music and Japanese or no, French over the air. And this was like a yeah, and I mean, it's obviously improved now, but I was going to say they've just remade the Royal Flying Doctors show on TV. So I just saw an ad for it. So it's funny that you mention it. Funny. Okay, cool. But yes, but we don't ride kangaroos to school. That's the main thing. You might run away from them, right? Oh, yeah. My friend's brother actually got like beaten up by a kangaroo, like waiting for the bus for school. <laughs> He's okay. Was the kangaroo wearing boxing gloves? I mean, that's the, again, the visual I have, which is terrible. <laughs> Not quite, but I think it was, yeah, like a boxing situation. That would be scary. Yeah, it's terrifying. So where to next for smart communities? The smart communities. Well, the COVID thing's interesting. Hopefully more people will choose to work from home and hopefully their employers will let them and we'll see a bit of a change, you know, rather than having a a peak hour, a rush hour, and having the, the breakfast joints full at breakfast, we'll see them full at lunchtime as well, and we'll have community orchards. And, you know, I'd, I'd like to see just what would happen if more people are just constantly located in the one place. Sure, you can work the same amount of time. Actually, you'd probably have more time because you're cutting out that commute, and that way you can be putting it into much more positive things. And I think there's been a lot of ideal visions like the um, Village Homes Project in Davis, California, where, you know, it's a started off as kind of a hippie commune, but then over the 20 years, 20, 30, 40 years, it's developed into a, a sustainable community where they're all growing. They've got orchards and chickens and hay bales and all sorts of things. So it is easy to, you know, it's, it's much more, I think 
the dreams could be closer than um, we've thought in the past. You know, we can really make our uh, communities what we want with the help of technology. Yeah, and I think that we like, yeah, that more regional hub kind of space where, you know, you, and like you talked about earlier, the flexibility there. So, and also obviously not everyone can work from home. So we can prioritize the people that can't work from home and then working out how that then the transport network can work for them better. Maybe it's more off peak, you know, times and, and services and all that type of stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, especially regional towns. Currently, the property prices are going through the roof because all the, the city folk are thinking, oh, I can, you know, I don't have to be stuck here in the city. I can move out somewhere a bit more affordable, supposedly affordable, and drive the property prices up in the process. But um, I think a lot of the, the little towns have, have, you know, been shrinking a lot, you know, and, and you, you've got areas like Dubbo that are increasing in size and getting larger populations. But I think it could be a, a nice magic bullet to have um, technically enabled workforces moving back out to smaller communities that would otherwise be getting left behind and uh, ignored by the bigger city forces. And, of course, you know, there's obviously, yeah, some change and some positive and some negative impacts there and and then navigating all of that will be really interesting as well and something I'm really focused in on as well, yeah, from that regional perspective of how do you – can regional areas have their cake and eat it too well? You know, we don't have any of the city impacts, but we can have this lifestyle that we like and love and have this, you know, super cool high-tech job or whatever the case may be, remote work job. But, yeah, balancing that will be interesting. Yeah, this is where um, the ABS is such a, a national treasure, just being able to give us the evidence base to see what's happening with those dynamics and to to provide the evidence there as to what might be having a, a good positive outcome or um where the, uh, the negative outcomes might be that we can intervene with and, and help solve. Where to next for smart communities? Ah, where to next? I look, I mean, more of the same. I think going, you know, smart people thinking really hard about complex problems and finding solutions that benefit as many people as possible. That's, you know, put it on a T-shirt, <laughs> send it out. Slogan. <laughs> Slogan. Yeah, I think that... Uh, yeah, just systems thinking and really about aiming for the common good. The Smart Community Podcast is brought to you by My Smart Community. If you're looking for support in podcast strategy and production, workshop design and facilitation, or communication and media advisory, get in touch. Email hello at mysmart.community or head to www.mysmart.community. Thanks so much for listening to the Smart Community Podcast. Show notes for this episode and all other episodes are available on our website, mysmart.community slash podcast. If you have any questions for us or any of our guests, you can email hello at mysmart.community. You can also find us on the socials. We are on LinkedIn and Twitter at smartcomhq. That's com with two M's. If you are enjoying the podcast, please hit subscribe so you never miss an episode. And we would love for you to leave us a rating and review at wherever you listen. This really helps us reach more ears and eyes. So thank you for your support. As always, we hope you enjoyed listening to this episode as much as we enjoyed making it.
Community Podcast is what you're looking for.